Well, hey, thanks for tuning in for part two of our new series titled I Am. If you missed last week's message, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it so that you'll know exactly where we are and the whole idea behind this series. But I want to give us a, a quick refresher about this series in general. Where, where does the term I am come from? What, what is the whole point of what we're talking about today? Well, you see, I am is the name of God. In Exodus chapter 3, you may be familiar with the story of the burning bush. Moses comes up, the bush is on fire, it gets his attention out of the bush, God speaks to him. But the reason that all happens in the first place is because way back, even before that, God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. Now, Abraham had descendants, and his descendants were named Isaac, his firstborn son, and then Isaac had a son named Jacob, and the Israelites were the descendants of Abraham through the line of Isaac and Jacob. Why that's significant is because when God met with Abraham, when he introduced himself to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be the God of your people, and your people are going to follow me, and I'm going to give you this land, the land of Canaan. Now, we know it by the name of the promised land, but that was indeed God's promise to Abraham that he will be his God, that he will be the God of his people, and that his people will dwell in a very specific region known as the promised land. Well, fast forward a few years, and then these same descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, are slaves in Egypt. And as slaves in Egypt, they cry out to their God because of their misery, because they're working under the harsh reality of the taskmasters in Egypt. And so God hears their cry, and when he does, he raises up Moses to deliver the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, from their captors in Egypt. And so how does God get Moses' attention? Well, he speaks to him out of the burning bush, and then he reveals to him, he says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go, the Israelites, the people of Abraham, let them go because I've heard their cries. And Moses, I want you to be the guy to do that. Well, Moses is a little bit taken aback. He says, God, I don't, I don't know if I like the plan. I don't know if I agree with this. Pharaoh surely won't believe me, but my own people may not believe me. Who will I tell them sent me? And God says to Moses, tell them that I am sent you. And so in Exodus chapter 3, when God refers to himself as I am, he is saying, this is who I am. This is my name. The covenant name of God in the Old Testament was Yahweh. Yahweh was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh was the one who raised up Moses to lead the people out of slavery. And where he was leading them was to that land that he promised to Moses. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh eventually lets the people go, and he leads them to the promised land that was promised so many days before. Well, the problem was the Israelites were in the wilderness, and they began to grumble. They began to complain. And so because of their lack of faith and because of their unwillingness to go where God was leading them, they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. But God didn't leave them on an island. He continued to lead them even over those 40 years. And what God would do to provide for them was he would lead them by the day in a pillar of cloud is what we read in Exodus. A cloud that would uh, kind of insulate them, but it would guide them, but it would also kind of protect them and shield them from those around. And then that same pillar by night, he would lead them by a pillar of fire. And so you can imagine the darkness of the wilderness. And so this pillar of fire, it, it glowed in the wilderness. It was very obvious and it was easy for them to follow in the wilderness. And so the fire in the wilderness, the cloud in the wilderness was God's symbol of his presence with the people that I am your God and I am leading you. But it was also a source of his provision. 
And so in order to commemorate the wilderness wanderings, those 40 years of walking around in the wilderness and being led by God, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, they had these feasts. And one of those feasts specifically was called the Feast of Tabernacles, or maybe you've read it in your Bible as the Feast of Booths. And what this specific festival celebrated was, it was a time where the Jews would remember their history. It would re- remember their, their deliverance from Egypt and between the, the time of their captivity in Egypt and in, entering into the promised land. It was this festival that was set aside to remember those days. And it would remember God leading them through the wilderness by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And what's significant about this in our I Am series is that when Jesus in John's gospel, he makes seven I Am statements, he is equating himself, he is making himself equal to that same God of Exodus, that same God who delivered the people from Egypt, that same God who made a promise to Abraham. And so seven times in John's gospel, Jesus makes these I Am statements that were very specifically and very clearly claims to, hey, I am here before you today, that same God who stood before Moses back then. And so what's interesting is in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 is where we find this next I am statement. But what's interesting is in the midst of these chapters is they are celebrating the festival of tabernacles or the festival of booths. And so uh, while this festival is going on, this was a a time of celebration for the Jews. There would be people who would come from outside of Jerusalem and they would gather. They would take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And so you have this large influx of people in the city. It's high energy. It's, It's very much a social thing going on. And so you have all of this going on in Jerusalem. Well, at the same time, tensions were boiling over. You see, in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, we find that Jesus is only six months away from his arrest and his eventual crucifixion. This is towards the end of his ministry. These are the latter days. And so for about three years now, he has been teaching people. He has been performing miracles. He has been making these claims. And so by this time, the the word has kind of gotten out about Jesus. Well, the word had gotten out of what he had done, what he had said, miracles being performed, blind people being healed, all of these things. And there were a lot of different reactions to that. Not everyone was in agreement on who Jesus was. Although he had done so many things, although he had taught many things, there was still a a mixture of opinions on who Jesus is. I want to read some for you in John chapter 7. Remember, this is during the Feast of Tabernacles. This is during the feast as all these people come and they gather in Jerusalem This is what John tells us in John chapter 7. These are uh, snippets and snapshots of conversations that are happening amongst the people. Some of them from Jerusalem, some of them from out of town. But in John chapter 7 verse 31 it says, However, many from the crowd believed in him, believed in Jesus, and said, When the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man does, will he? And then in verse 40, when some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This truly is the prophet. Verse 41, others said, This is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? So verse 43, the crowd was divided because of him. The servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. And so what we see in John chapter 7 is we see a, a hodgepodge of different opinions. We have, we have people who are pointing to the things that Jesus did, and they're saying, surely the Messiah can't do more signs than this guy is doing. He, he must be the Messiah. Others said, man, I've never heard anybody speak like this. 
Others specifically said, this is the prophet, while others said, yes, this indeed is the Messiah. But we read that the crowd was divided, that there were all these opinions about who Jesus was and what he had done and, and did what he do, validate what he said about himself. And what is interesting is because the tensions were boiling over is that in John chapter 7, while celebrating the feast in Jerusalem, while so many people came from out of town to celebrate, Jesus actually goes to the festival, but he does so undercover. Why? Because he knows that there are certain people in Jerusalem who are plotting against him, who are plotting to have him killed. And so Jesus comes to the festival, the festival commemorating the wilderness wanderings, and yet he does so undercover. Well, that is until John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, he reveals himself while in the temple. And I want to skip down into verse 20. And it says this, He, Jesus, spoke these words by the treasury. Why is that such a big deal? Well, understand that the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple, was constructed of different courts. And so what that meant was there were different areas of the temple, and every area got closer and closer to the center was more restricted. And so the treasury, it says, is when Jesus reveals himself publicly at the feast, at the festival of the tabernacles, Jesus announces his presence. He announces that he is indeed there in Jerusalem, and it says that he does so while in the treasury. Why does that matter? Well, the treasury is located in what was called the court of women. This was one of the larger courts with, with less restriction, and so there were more people. There were a lot of people who would gather there if they came to pay tithes or came to pay uh, in, in whatever form they would drop off their money into these, these uh, collection sites in the treasury. And so there were a lot of people in this particular part of the temple. But even more significant than that is that during the Feast of Tabernacles, remember, it was commemorating the wilderness wandering. For 40 years, the people of Israel wandered around the wilderness. But remember, at night, God, because of his presence and his provision for the people, he would lead the people through a pillar of fire. And so to celebrate that particular, uh, that particular instance of the wilderness wanderings, the Jews had developed this ritual to celebrate that at the Feast of Tabernacles. And what they would do is in the court of women, they would surround the court with these large candelabras. And what they would do is every night, they would light the large candles. And so this court of women literally became this scene of illumination. And so as the people would look around, they would be reminded, seeing all the burning flames of the candles, this, this extravagant display of candlelight in a setting where there was no modern lighting like we have today. It was a, a very extravagant sight, but it was a reminder of the pillar of fire that their ancestors were led by in the wilderness. Well, why, why am I telling you all of that? Because, again, Jesus, in John chapter 8, he reveals, I am. Remember, he makes another I am statement. But we need to understand that he does it in the context of the Jews celebrating in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the court of women, this particular instance of the pillar of fire. And so what does Jesus say? In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says these words. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. 
Now, now think about it. And now all of a sudden, Jesus, he, he, he kind of adds the punchline to all of chapter seven. The feast is going on. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of uh, excitement going on in Jerusalem. The temple is lit every single night with these large candelabras. You could see the flames. You could see uh, the light that was produced. And Jesus, in the midst of all that, adds the punchline as he announces his presence in the temple. And he says this, I am the light of the world. Very specifically, Jesus makes a claim that equates to I am the same God who delivered the people in the wilderness. I am the same God who who led the people by a pillar of fire to the promised land. I am he. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of the festival, while everyone is looking at the light, they can see the light, it's a visual reminder, but their minds are going back in time to the God who delivered them from Egypt, the God who delivered them into the promised land, the God who provided for them by leading them a pillar of fire. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the light of the world. Clearly, Jesus is equating for the people, hey, as you think back to the God who delivered your ancestors, I am that same God. I am. I am the light of the world. Now, what's interesting, I think, for us is Jesus says, I am the light. Not a light, not a source of light. I'm not just some person to, to kind of help you and aid you. He says very specifically and very clearly and quite frankly, very exclusively, I am the light. And now that wouldn't be much for the Jews of the day who believed in one God. They believed in the, the Hebrew Old Testament, the scriptures, that they had the source of truth, that their religion was true. But for us, and we live in a society today where, where there are seemingly or claim to be many sources to heaven, that all these religions are the same. They all lead to the same place. It doesn't really matter which one that you follow. Jesus negates all of that. And he says, listen, I am that same God. I am God here standing before you today in the flesh, and yet I am the light. There is only one light, and that light comes through the person of Jesus. But the good news is, he says, I am the light of the world. And so it's not that it's only for certain people. It's not even just for the Jews. When Jesus says, I am the light, he's very exclusively saying, I am the way, I am the source of light, and yet I am the source of light for the entire world, not just for those of you standing in the temple, not just for those of you who were born in a Jewish lineage. I am the light of the world. So Jesus, on the spot, says, I am the light. I'm the same light. I am the light by which we see God because I am the literal presence and provision of God. In the Old Testament, the pillar of fire was a symbol of that presence, a symbol of that provision. But Jesus says, I am the literal presence and provision of God standing before you today. Well, like I said, tensions were high and not everyone agreed with what Jesus said or what Jesus did. Not everyone drew the same conclusions. And so in verse 13, it says, the Pharisees, these religious leaders said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. In other words, they're saying, hey, if you were in a court of law, you would call the witness to the stand and then you would be your own witness. That doesn't work. You can't just say things about yourself. You need somebody to validate what you say. So Jesus says in verse 14, even if I testify about, testify about myself, 
My testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself and the father who sent me testifies about me. And so Jesus responding to their claim to try to invalidate what he said. Remember in a public place in the temple there, these Pharisees are trying to discredit Jesus in front of the crowd saying, hey, you can't just claim this about yourself. You need some proof. And Jesus says, well, indeed, my father also testifies about me. And so they ask, well, where is your father? And Jesus says, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus is saying, listen, the God that you claim to worship, you don't really know him because if you knew him, you would recognize that I am him and I stand before you today. You see, the other thing that Jesus alludes to, and I think that we can draw a conclusion from, is that there were already people in the crowd in Jerusalem, we read this in John chapter 7, who were talking about the signs that he did. Well, will the Messiah come and do more signs than this man? Others said, well, I've never heard anybody speak this way. And so the Jews say, well, you need a witness to validate what you say. And yet they had clearly ignored what other people had caught on to. And that was, well, the signs that Jesus did, the miracles that Jesus did pointed to and validated his claim that he is God. And yet also the things that he taught, no one had ever spoke this way. So while they try to discredit him saying, well, you're just talking about yourself. You need some witnesses. According to Jewish law, you need at least two witnesses to validate the truth. Jesus says, well, my father validates what I say. You just don't know him. You think you do, but you don't. And also the signs that I've been doing, the miracles that I've done, and also the teachings that I've been teaching, all of these things are validating and pointing to my identity. And that is I am God, I am Yahweh. I am the God who delivered your ancestors in the wilderness, and I am here to deliver you. So I want to come back and go to verse 23. And this is really the implication of what Jesus says. If Jesus is the light of the world, if he is the same God who delivered the people, who in the midst of the temple as they're commemorating and celebrating what God had done for them, and he's pointing and saying, I am the same God, and I'm here to do the same for you. I'm here to take you to the promised land, so to speak. I'm here to provide a way of, uh, of truth and light to you so that you don't have to walk in darkness. He says in verse 23, you, talking to the Pharisees, are from below, but I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And this is what he says. This is why it's important that we understand who Jesus is, that he is the light of the world. Therefore, I told you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They questioned. And he says exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning. You see, Jesus came as the source, the, the source of light, the light of the world to illuminate and to lead us. Because here's the thing, Jesus is a guide. Jesus guides us. But Jesus, as the light of the world, is not someone to, to sit back and to be admired. You see, Jesus, as the light of the world, is meant to be followed. And that's exactly what the Israelites did in the Old Testament. As the pillar of fire would move by night, they were following that fire. God was leading them to the promised land. But as the pillar of fire, they, they were not to sit back and admire it to, from a distance. They were to follow it. It was a guide for them in the darkness of the wilderness. Jesus 
quite clearly, quite specifically, is making that same claim that, listen, I am God. I'm here for you. I'm here in the physical presence before you that I am God here before you, but also I'm here to provide for you. And what is it that he provides? He provides a way for us to enter that promised land away from our captivity, out of slavery in so-called Egypt. See, we are enslaved to our sin nature. And Jesus, because he is the light of the world, provides us a way, a deliverance. If we follow him, he provides us a way out of slavery to sin because he offers us eternal life. I want to read again verse 24. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, I am the God of the Old Testament, I am Yahweh, I am the light of the world, you will die in your sins. But you see, Jesus offers us a way that we don't have to die in our sin. We don't have to die facing the penalty and the punishment of our sin because six months later he would go to the cross and when he went to the cross, he would die a criminal's death on our behalf so that we don't have to pay the penalty of our sin. He provided, he was the provision for that sin, that penalty. And so we, if we follow him as the light of the world, we believe in him, we believe in who he said he was, and we are willing to follow him, he will take us to the promised land. He will take us to eternal life. He offers us forgiveness from our sin. So then the question becomes, are you following him? And if you're not, will you? You see, Jesus is the light of the world. Anyone who follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus guides. He guides us because he is the light of the world. He offers us a way out of darkness. The question becomes, are we or will we follow him? Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for those who have tuned in today. God, I thank you for uh, those who would wrestle with these questions. And God, I pray if there is someone, Lord, who, who could answer that question honestly and say, you know what, I'm not following Jesus because uh, I've just kind of been sitting back, not sure or unwilling to follow him. God, I pray that today would be a day where they realize what it is that Jesus has done for us and what it is that Jesus offers us, that he is the light of the world, that he offers us hope, he offers us eternal life, and yet we just have to be willing to follow him. God, we pray that that would be the case for someone today, that they would enter into a relationship with you where they would begin following you, Lord, and they would see that you lead us to the promised land, you lead us to eternal life. We love you and we ask this all in his name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in today. I would encourage you, if you have questions about anything that was said today, engage in the chat, engage in the comments. We have someone who would love to reach out to you and to have conversation with you and to answer any questions that you might have. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you back next week.